Hear the word of God from Philippians chapter 3, verses 4b through 14. This reading comes from the New Revised Standard Version. You can find this reading on page 955 in the Pew Bible. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisees, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as lost because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his suffering by becoming like him in death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And good morning all. It's great to see you in worship today and be with you. Well, I think Vicki announced it, Vacation Bible School, Hyde Park, 2017, begins tomorrow. Hold on. I love, I love the title, Maker Fun Factory, created by God and built for a purpose. Created by God and built for a purpose. You know, we all, every one of us, are made in the very image of God. There's a spark of the divine in you. Every one of us has a reason to be and a calling placed on our lives, for we are built for a purpose. So even if you look at something and at first glance it might appear to be trash or rubbish, by God's grace it can be turned into something beautiful and amazing and useful and meaningful. Well, like these rockets here, or around campus you might see some robots. They, many of them were made from discarded materials, useless materials. Or look at this robot on the screen. This was made by young Hannah. She has named her robot Princess Sparklebot. She submitted this photo on the Photo a Day Joy Challenge under early in the week when the word was rubbish. So she took useless items and created something beautiful. She repurposed them and made them into something useful. Indeed, real trash to treasure. Princess Sparklebot. 
You'll see many of these robots around campus this week. And more personally, in your own life, if you have experienced ups and downs and losses, at a quick glance, you might declare that a lot of your life is rubbish or trash. But I want you to hear this, my friends. By God's grace, it is not. You are beautiful, and that is an amazing gift to hold on to, to claim, to know deeply within. I love that song that an artist called Gunger sings. It's called Beautiful Things. And one line, one part of the song goes, you make beautiful things. You make beautiful things out of dust. You make beautiful things. You make beautiful things out of us. Yes, you are loved and beautiful, and that is a primary message that our children will be hearing this week, one of many messages that will be heard across this campus. The power of Vacation Bible School is incredible. It is long-lasting. The lives of children, youth, and adults will be touched by the power of the Holy Spirit, and that alone is simply amazing. But tomorrow morning... Right here at 8.50 when those doors open, tomorrow morning there will be 400 children and over 200 volunteers that will be sharing God's love story with one another. And I am so excited about that. So please be in prayer for all the kids who come that they might be touched by the love of God. And be in prayer for the adults and volunteers as well. In fact, would you join me in a word of prayer right now? O holy and gracious God, as we continue to worship you, we are mindful of all the preparations that have been made already for Vacation Bible School, not just here, but at Vacation Bible Schools across the land. Many will begin tomorrow. And so we ask that you bless those efforts and may your love shine through them. And as we worship this morning here, we pray that we would hear just a word from you, a word of hope a word of joy, a word of love, whatever it is that we need to hear. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, in the midst of all the preparations for Vacation Bible School, we are continuing this sermon series on joy as guided by Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. Now, if you haven't been here for the past two weeks, Or if it's been a while since you've read the letter to the Philippians, let me remind you that Paul is writing from prison. Now wrap your head around that. He's writing this letter from prison. He's about to appear in court where he will soon face the charges against him. He could be executed, but he hopes to be released. And he's writing from prison And he is reflecting on and calling other Christ followers towards joy. Now, he is speaking about joy or gladness. That's not just a momentary happiness about something that happens to you, like you get to have an ice cream sundae after dinner, or you got to go swimming, or you saw your favorite movie again for the 17th time. That's a momentary happiness. And those are nice. But that's not what joy, what Paul is talking about in this letter. He's talking about a joy that lives with a confident outlook that is rooted in hope. A confident outlook of what is ahead that is rooted deeply in hope. 
It shows trust in God's faithfulness to preserve believers for salvation. This joy helps overcome fear and set aside our silly quarrels. I think we could use a lot more of that kind of joy in the world today. Joy that helps us overcome our fears and set aside silly quarrels. And because of this confidence in God, Paul is able to put aside his own personal needs and overcome fear himself. His own personal needs that he realizes that he is going to continue to suffer. He may even die, but he wants to be faithful to Christ's calling upon his heart. And somehow, in the midst of this, he managed to, manages to do this with Christian joy. And let's not forget, it's not only Paul that is suffering this harassment, but the people, the church community, the Philippian church community are suffering it as well. So he is trying to encourage them to remain strong in the faith, seeking Christ, while letting them know of some of the hardships and difficulties they might expect. So that's a pretty tall order. So let's look at how, who Paul is and how he's able to do this. First, Paul, he's a pretty talented and accomplished guy. I mean, really. His background, his birth afforded him some benefits that we might call assets or privileges. If he was a military man, he'd probably have like a whole lot of medals on his chest. He even says, in, if anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, in physical advantages, I have more. It reminds me of that old commercial. My dog's better than your dog. Remember that one, Perina? Uh -huh. Yeah. I have more. I'm better. I am the most accomplished. He's a religious man, a proud Pharisee. He's quite pleased with his Jewish background. He's confident of his membership in the household of God. He was circumcised on the eighth day, not the ninth day, the eighth day, which is the proper day for Jewish babies, boy babies, to be circumcised. He's an Israelite by the tribe of Benjamin, born and bred a Hebrew in the attitude of the law, towards the law, he's a Pharisee, all of this are just declarations so that he can prove that he is fully and thoroughly Jewish. These things were Paul's assets, his medals, if you will. And that is how he felt until, until he had an encounter with the risen Christ. And that's when things began to change. He was changed totally, fully, from the inside out. He became not one who harassed the church, but he became a member of the community. The things that were his assets were written off as a loss for the sake of Christ. Have you ever experienced a loss? You know, when I looked at the language of this text, loss and gain, goal and prize, you could almost think of it as a, in terms of market, like stocks. Have you lost some on your stocks these days? I mean, you know, you could think of it that way. But have you experienced loss? And I think if we are human, and I'm pretty sure everybody here is, then we have experienced loss. In fact, in that photo a day challenge, the day that loss was the word, well, you sent in a lot of options. And those photos were open to interpretation because there were no words given to them. Some had pictures of funeral marquees. Some had pictures of loved ones who had died. Or this one, it's a couple 
who are clearly suffering and experiencing loss, but they are together in their pain. Serious losses abound in our congregation, and some of you, no doubt, right now, are continuing to grieve a loss. If this is your situation, I pray that you would experience that deep joy that Paul is speaking of, that joy that stays with you when you're having a good day, and that joy that stays with you when you're going through the depths of hell. Now, others of you were more playful in the photos you submitted. Like, here's a photo that was submitted on the day of loss, and it's a scale. Now, (laughs) many of us take a look at a scale and try as we might. We cannot make it a loss. But somehow, I don't think that's what Paul is referring to here. Rather, Paul considers everything, all the stuff in his life that brought him prestige and status, all that stuff that was of value in life before, he sets them aside. He sets them aside. He calls them trash or rubbish. He no longer gains his identity from those things. He counts them worthless in comparison to the superior knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus as his Lord. The Common English Bible puts it this way, I have lost everything for him, but what I lost, I count as sewer trash, so that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Sewer trash, that's pretty graphic, don't you think? Paul is saying, in Christ I have a righteousness that is found not in the law, but it comes from faith in Christ. Paul's perception has changed. He sees the world differently. He has been given the gift of new eyes. He now has found a larger, more complete way to relate to God, and he observes the world in a whole new way. He looks at life and the values he lives by from a very different perspective. His relationship with God is now no longer founded on the Mosaic law, but it is founded on Christ. He knows that nothing is as valuable as what he receives from Christ Jesus. One commentary put it this way, the gift and practice of true perception is at the heart of Paul's story. The gift and practice of true perception And it's also at the heart of the communal life he is urging the Philippians toward. Paul's perception has changed. Have you ever had that happen to you when you think about life one way and something happens? World events happen, something happens in your own life, you take a mission trip, your life has changed, you see the world differently. This has happened to Paul on a magnificent scale. Years ago, Uh, My husband, Clark, worked for the mission agency of the general board of the Methodist Church. We were living in New York, and he had responsibility for the churches in the Southern Cone, Argentina, Chile, Peru, Uruguay, Bolivia, and Cuba. And one time I got to go with him on a trip to several of those countries. Now, the story I'm going to share, he declares this happened in Uruguay, but I know it happened in Argentina. But I'm telling it, so it's my story. But as many countries in South America, and particularly Argentina at this time, had come through uh, incredible instability and military dictatorships, the year was 1990, so we have reason to have forgotten a few details, okay, I'm just saying. But the heart of the story is the same. 
We observe the church alive and active in powerful ways in that country in the midst of dire poverty. One day, we were asked to accompany a young pastor named Luis to go visit his youth group in the neighborhood. And we were going to bring greetings from the church in the U.S. And oh, we were going to maybe teach a Bible story, sing some songs, because Luis always had his guitar on his back. The morning arrived. We were so excited. And as we got closer and closer to the neighborhood, the stench was overwhelming. It was incredible. The flies, well, they were everywhere. And I don't have to be any more graphically detailed than that. It was It was shocking for me to realize that we were on top of a garbage dump. Yes, this parish where Luis pastored was with these families who lived on the garbage heap. The children with whom we were visiting, that was their neighborhood. And Luis loved these children, and he shared that love of Jesus in mighty ways with them every day. He told them that God made them loved them, was with them, would never leave them, and that they had a purpose, much like our kids are going to be hearing this week. It doesn't matter if you live in a magnificent palace or a garbage dump. We all need to hear that good news as well. You, my friends, as well. Every time Luis visited these kids in the neighborhood, he was telling them that just because you live in the garbage. You are not garbage. You're made in the very image of God. You are precious and you are loved. These children were regarded by many as mere rubbish, street kids, throwaway kids, but not Luis. Luis spoke truth to them. He spoke love. His perception of who they were, it came from deep inside a place of knowing Christ's joy and perceiving these kids as incredibly beautiful. Luis had grown up in a middle-class family. He was a bright and articulate young pastor. He could have been serving a very different parish, but he chose to lay aside anything that would prop up his status so he could pastor to these kids authentically. I think that's a lot lot of what Paul is saying to us by his example. He wants his readers of this letter to Philippians to know that he has experienced firsthand the resurrected Christ and that he strives to live that message out that he preaches every day. In his striving to know Christ more fully, he has set aside anything that could prop up his status. Now, that's not easy to do. It's not easy for any of us to do. It requires faithfulness to the task. It requires a lot of prayer. I think it requires a community of faith that we worship together with that holds us up and supports and encourages us when we're having a hard time. It requires consistency and daily practice and a whole lot of grace. Some of the things we might call spiritual practices, that's what helps us do it. It seems that Paul is stating for himself, and maybe, just maybe, he is suggesting subtly to the people in Philippi, citizens of the Roman colony, not to exploit their privileges of Roman citizenship, but also to find their true status, not in things 
or heritage or attributes, but only in Jesus Christ. You see, Paul is claiming another kind of citizenship, one that is sold out for Christ. N.T. Wright reminds us that in light of this new identity in Christ, national identities are relativized, as Paul's was. But Paul is not renouncing his past, and he's not asking the Philippians to renounce their past. But he simply is saying that he's going to set that aside so that that past, all those medals that I have, they are not my single most important defining factor of who I am. Rather, the single most defining important factor of who I am is a follower of Jesus. It's not the past. It's the future. You see, Paul is living with a different goal in mind. And it makes me wonder, for all of us today, for myself, I've been pondering this, what are those props that we might need to set aside? What are the blocks that get in the way of our knowing Christ and living more fully in the power of the resurrection? It could be easy to think quickly about race or gender or amount of education or how many cars we have or how many homes we own or how long we've been a member of the church or whatever those things are that subtly and gently and cleverly make us think of ourselves as a little more superior to any other human being who is made in the very image of God. But what else? If we're honest with ourselves, perhaps we could admit that one block might be that we trust in ourselves a little too much. I mean, we're good people, right? Isn't that enough? And so I want you to let go of that one, friends. Because <laughs> it's not about you. It's about God's love for you. Another block might be that we don't think we are worthy of God's love. Or we doubt the veracity of the story at all. Or, in light of the world situation today, this text has made me just reflect on my ultimate allegiance. My true status is with Christ, period. So what does that mean for the way I live my life day in and day out? Gratefully, Paul admits that he has not yet reached the goal. I mean, he's a work in progress, as are we. He goes on to say that he has forgotten what lies behind and he moves on into the future looking toward that end goal, towards the resurrection, towards eternity, a different goal in mind. Allowing the goal of knowing Christ, the goal of seeking the heavenly call of God to shape the way he lives his life today. So how do we do that? Well, I think one thing we can do is stop focusing on our own abilities anything that props us up. But recognize that the gifts we do have are just that, a very precious gift from God. I'm so grateful for my education. I'm so grateful for many things, but I don't want them to prop me up. I want Christ to be my prop, my support. Let's stop focusing also on the rubbish of our lives. Those things, those failures, those things that we hold on to that we can't let go of that get in the way of following Christ, those things that get in the way because we try to define ourselves by them. Let's have faith in Christ and rely fully on him and not ourselves. Or as Paul says in the book of Hebrews, let us look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the source and goal of our faith. 
I really like that. I like the way that Paul reminds us that this joy he's speaking of, this inner joy that is rooted in hope, it comes only from God. And as Christ followers, we're all on a lifelong journey to become more Christ-like. So let's encourage one another, remembering that we are all created by God and built for a purpose. Will you pray with me? Oh, loving and holy God, we thank you for this joy that comes only from you. We ask that even when we're going through difficult times, that we would not let that joy be smushed out because we choose joy. We might be unhappy some days, many days perhaps, but ultimately you are our end game. You are the reason that we are. Our purpose and goal is in you. So help us support one another in this endeavor. Help us to be faithful to the task of trying each day to become more and more Christ-like. We ask in your name. Amen. Amen.